you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Now, please enjoy this message from our pastor, Bruce Rhodes. Alter Ego, week number two. Wow. It's going to be great. Going to be great today. The, if, you're, if you're looking at the notes, you can go to lifeway.church forward slash 5-5-19 and you can see the electronic notes there. Uh, today's title is My Need to Control. And so <laughs> it's, it's going to be tight, but it's going to be right. And so we need... <laughs> We need to pray, and well, yeah, let's just go ahead and and pray. If you'll turn over to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and then we'll pray. Father, thank you for opening our eyes so that we can see areas that that we need to to lay down our ego on the altar. That's what this series is all about, Lord. Surrendering to you the ways that we think about ourselves and the ways that other people may think about us to be more like Jesus and to follow him more closely. And so, Holy Spirit, we depend on you for every word. We thank you for speaking a distinct, exact message to each one of us so that we experience the changes in our life that we need to. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, the altar. Let's just talk about altar ego for a minute. Altar is where you make a sacrifice. It's where you lay down something before God. And so during these four weeks, we're laying down things before God. Our ego is what we believe or we think about ourselves. And Romans 12.3 says, the New Living Translation says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give to each, each one of you this warning. Don't think of yourself better than you really are. That's a warning. Don't think you're better than what you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And so we should have thoughts about ourselves, but they should be realistic thoughts. They should be thoughts that each one of us has the measure of faith and God has given to each one of us this faith. And so none of us are higher than any of the, the rest of us, but none of us are lower than any of the rest of us either. And sometimes, like last week, we, we talked about our feelings of inadequacy and how sometimes we, we think of ourselves as inadequate and we don't have what it takes. And, you know, you may have grown up in a, in a household that one, one or both parents may have been dominating or domineering and telling you, you you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to do anything, and you've had to put up with that inferiority complex or feelings of inadequacy all of your life. And we saw last week how God has, has made us the righteousness of God in Christ. And he thinks good thoughts about us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says he knows the, the plans he has for our future. Good plans to give us hope and to use us in, in a great way. And so um, that was last week, our feelings of inadequacy. We have to lay down our feelings of inadequacy to see that God sees in us more than we think and and that God has given us more than we think and life really is less 
about us than what we think. And so this week, the, the, the huge word is control. And first of all, we have to admit that everybody, every one of us have a control issue. To be, to be honest with ourselves and with God, we have to admit that all of us have control issues. I found this out when I married my wife uh, almost 32 years ago. And so we're uh, driving in the car together. And I'm driving the car. And I'm driving the car. And I'm driving the car after year one. And I'm driving the car after year two. And I'm driving the car after year three. And I'm driving the car after year four. And now it's year 32 and I still drive the car. I want control of that car. And I've had the Lord ask me more than once, when are you going to let my daughter drive the car? Because women want to know, don't you trust my driving? And I give the response, well, men back in the day that there was uh, horse and carriage and everything, you know, we're driving and, you know, you can think of all the reasons you want to to control the situation, right? Right? But if your thing is to drive the car, you may have a control issue. We're going to get into some other things that you may have a control issue if in a moment, but I'm just letting you know that I've had to have lay my ego on the altar the whole time I've been studying this thing. And so no one is um, absolved from, exempt from this word. Almost every one of us has control problems in certain areas. You know, whether it's we, we have control at work and we come home and then we're out of control. We don't care what happens when we come home or vice versa. You know, we're controlling at home and we go to work and we really don't care. You know, it can work both ways. Um, but we try to control two things, people and circumstances. People. If you've ever heard yourself say something like this, if they would just listen to me. I know what is best, then you might have a control issue. We're trying to control people. We try to control circumstances. You know, if I, if I, if I do this and this and this and this, then all, everything's going to be all right. All the circumstances, and we plan things, and we know best, and, and that's what ego is. Ego is I know best. But somebody also said that E-G-O means edging God out. Edging God out. When we think we know best, we are edging God out. Right? So I want to bring this scripture before you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 out of the New American Standard Bible says this. It's a familiar scripture, so I want you to see it how it's written first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. But I want to give you another version. I'm not sure if they put it up on the screen or not, but it is, it is the control freak version. It's in your, it's in your notes. Here's the control freak version. This is not real. This is a, a, a farce. Control freak version of this 
particular verse says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways acknowledge him and you will make your paths straight. That's the control freak version. The thing about control is the more you try to control, the more you're afraid of losing control. And the more you're afraid of losing control, the more you try to control. So it's the cycle of fear. The more you try to con are afraid of losing control, the more you try to control. And the more you try to control, the more you're afraid of losing control. And you're in this cycle of fear, fear, fear. Fear is the root of all sin. Let's say that together. Fear is the root of all sin. Adam and Eve were afraid that they, they, they were missing something. You know, they saw that tree and God said, eat from this tree, but don't eat from that tree. And they're like, oh, that, this has got to taste good if God told us not to eat from it. We're going to miss something if we don't do this, right? And so the, at, at the root of all sin is fear. So the challenge is about control is very, is very difficult, because it's difficult to see fear in the mirror. I'm, I'm sorry, it's difficult to see control in the mirror. It's difficult to, to see fear sometimes in the mirror too. But it's, the, the challenge of control is, is uh, very difficult because it's hard to see control in the mirror. It's hard to identify it in our own life, right? We, because we legitimately think that we know what is best. And we're edging out God even when we don't even know it. Even when we don't know it. So I'm going to give you a list. I'm not sure this list is in the note, in the digital notes. I don't think it is, but you can write this down. How can you tell when you have a control problem? And I'm going to start with the more obvious ones. The more obvious ones. And I think there's uh, seven of these. Number one. How can you tell if you have a control problem? If you say the words, it's my way or the highway. Amen. <laughs> Number two, how can you tell if you're having a control problem? If you micromanage. I told somebody how to do it, but I've got to make sure that they do it the way I told them to. Like there's only one way to get the same result, right? Number three, how can you tell when you have a control problem? When you're not on board unless it was your idea. This manifests in the car when the family goes to eat. Where do you want to go to eat? Where do you want to go to eat? Where do you want to go to eat? And finally, the strong one says, we want to go eat here. Right? Control issues. Well, if you don't like my idea, then I really don't want to go there. And I'm going to pout and maybe I'll sit in the car because I really don't like that restaurant or what have you, right? The control side of us comes out when we're together and we have to make decisions as a team, right? Let me, let me just share with you how to prevent that. In the car, if you've got five people, it rotates. This person chooses this time. I don't know that you know that, but you can have unity and harmony, Whose turn is it now to choose? And we just rejoice with everybody that chooses, right? So, how do you know you have a control problem? Number four, if you give people advice when they didn't ask for it. 
Oh, oh no. And let me just let you know that we're going to have communion at the end of the service today. <laughs> so, so uh, just uh, hang in there. Hang in there. If we step on your toes, we're going to pray at the end. The, the Lord's going to heal us. Right? If you give people advice and they didn't even ask for it. Wow. Like, really? Really? How about number five? How do you know that you have a control problem? When you spend more time trying to fix everyone and everything around you that you wear yourself out. I'm just worn out because I've got to think for everybody else. Nobody can think on their own. I've got to fix this and fix this and fix this and fix this and fix this. And pretty soon you're just falling down on the floor. And why? Because you fixed everybody's problems. <laughs> and there's a lot of laughter here. <laughs> laughter does good like a medicine. Number six, how can you tell you have a control problem? When you truly believe this statement that the world propagates, if it's to be, it's up to me. If it's to be, it's up to me. That means, that's translated like it, it's 100% my responsibility for my success. And guys, the world practices those success principles. You've got to do it if it's, if it's to be, it's up to you. And listen, that is the furthest thing from the truth. It's a lie from the enemy to believe that you can control your destiny. That's true. Now that's some preaching that is contrary to what a lot of people are teaching these days. If you don't depend on God, there is no success. It, 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 it may be money, but listen, the Bible says that the wealth of this world without God means nothing. You have to look at your definition of success, right? Okay. And the very last one that really hits all of us. How do you know when you have a control issue if prayer is the last resort? Wow. And how many times do we try, 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 and we're like, what, what's going on here? And the Lord says, well, um, hold on. You should have prayed first, right? So all of us have dealt with it, and all of us are dealing with it. Let's look at somebody in the Word that dealt with this, with uh, Sarah and Abraham in Genesis chapter 16. First of all, I'll tell you a little bit about Sarai and Abraham, Abram. Uh, so they're married, and Abram is afraid that uh, these men, because his wife was so beautiful, he's afraid that these men are going to uh, overtake him, take his wife, and sexually use her, okay? And so because Abraham is afraid, he has this plan. And Sarah goes along with it. And he tells these men, no, she is my sister. Which wasn't the truth. And out of fear, he takes control of the situation. Can you see that? And he tries to protect his wife. Well, that was not a good idea. Because... It seemingly protected his wife. So lying in order to seemingly protect someone 
is one way that we try to control. We try to control situations and people, right? So Sarah and Abraham uh, were chosen by God to have a son, to um, bless the earth. This was God's plan for them. And, he, and God speaks to Abraham and tells him, you're going to have a son at your old age. And so they're old, and Abraham trusts God. It was 25 years before God gave that promise of a son to the time that the son was born. But in between those 25 years, there was a control issue due to impatience. A lot of times, we lose control to impatience. But I'm looking in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Sarah and Abraham came up. Abraham came up with this idea. Sarah came up with the idea and Abraham agreed. But let's see what it says in Genesis 16 verses 1 through 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This was after the, the Lord promised that they would have children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. If those words aren't underlined in your Bible, underline. Because this is where the control issue came into being. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So, he was part of the problem. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Again, the control issue is when we take our life in our own hands, and we don't trust God. Controlling your life by yourself will produce an Ishmael just like it did in Abraham and Sarah's life. They were impatient. So this is control gone bad. What are you trying to control? Let me just throw out a, a few scenarios. Are you trying to control your kids? Are you trying to control your grown kids? Are you trying to control your grandchildren? How about your spouse's schedule? How about coworkers at work? We play these passive aggressive games at work with our coworkers. It's all behind it all is control, right? If you're a boss, how about your employees? You are, is this hitting anybody? How about finances? You know, to have that thought, well, I can't tithe now, but 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 when the lottery comes in, I'll I'll be I'll I'll pay off all my debts and then I'll tithe. That, that's, you're, you're making negotiations with God, and that's trying to control, right? If, it's better if we just surrender. How about marriage? I'm not married yet, and I should be married, and somehow God's withholding, just like Sarah was saying, you know, God's, God has prevented me from having a child. And, and so we begin to control when we have thoughts, and we give place to these thoughts, well, I'll just help God out. I'll just help him out. Just help him out a little bit because he's not on time, right? 
How about in the, in the area of exercise? I'm not doing this stupid exercise. Again, choosing not to do what you know you should do is a form of control. Just a thought, right? How do we control? How, how are ways that we control that we don't even realize that we're trying to control? What is it? Think in your mind, what, what are the things in your life that you try to control? And then we're going to ask these three questions, okay? The first question is, number one, is it worth my concern? Is this thing worth my concern? You're trying to control getting a promotion at job. Is it worth your concern? Here's Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha. He's the special guest in their house. And you have one sister that is sitting there listening to Jesus and another sister that is trying to control the environment. She forgot to do this and she forgot to do that and there, were, there was this to do and that to do and oh my, if Jesus looks up at the ceiling, he's going to see the cobwebs and then oh my, what are we going to do? And then maybe he'll leave and he won't want to stay here if he sees that the floor is dirty. I mean, it's made out of dirt, but... Uh, you know, <laughs> you can imagine what's going on in this woman's mind. That she's running around, fussing around, because here's what it says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 41. The Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken taken away from her. So the concern that Martha has turns into worry, right? Because she allowed it to turn into worry. Worry is a symptom of the thought, I'm missing something. I'm missing something. Something I forgot to do that I should have done or something's missing. If you allow that to develop, that concern to develop, it develops into worry. Did you know? Here's, 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 here's a phrase that's going to free up about 50% of the people in here because 50% of the people can identify as perfectionist. Perfection is only in existence in heaven. Did you know that? Perfection only exists in heaven, right? And the human eye of the visitor or guest that comes into your house cannot see all the things that are wrong with your house. Really, when we visit each other in our house, the, the face and the heart should be the only things that matter. Our words, our eyes, because eyes are the window of the heart, and we're there to fellowship, right? But there is a balance between ex excellence and sloppiness. So here's, here's the difference. Too much care means you're thinking it's never good enough. Too much care. Too much care, over the balance, nothing's ever good enough. Could have been better, could have been better, could have been better. Critical, 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 down, down, down. 
can't even have a good time because you're focused on all the things that you didn't get done before your people showed up. Or how about not enough care? Well, it doesn't matter anyway. Just doesn't matter anyway. Just doesn't matter anyway. Yes, it does matter. We don't want to be sloppy, right? But we don't want to be overbalanced. We have a tendency when we become overly concerned to take minor things and make them major. The minor things become major. And the way that you do something becomes more important than the end result. Can you agree? Listen, concern is relative. When you say, I'm concerned about something, based on what? There, there, there has to be some kind of measurement, some kind of scale. Concern is good, but overly concerned turns into worry. So that thing, that thing that you are wanting to control, is it worth your concern? Number two, the second question, is it yours or is it mine to control? Is it ours to control? Look at James chapter 4, verse 13. James 4, 13 and 14. says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to do this or, or go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You know, that, that seems... It seems so bold that you kind of think, well, maybe we just shouldn't plan anything. Or we should just adopt this statement. Well, whatever the Lord's will is. If I wake up tomorrow, it's whatever the Lord's will. But I dare you to call your boss and say, you know, it wasn't the Lord's will that I come into work today. It doesn't work, does it? Right? That's not what this verse is saying. I mean, you can be over and you can be a lot under too. But this thing, is it yours to control? Is it yours? Does it belong to you? Is it yours to control? If we say things like, my plan is, my plan is, my plan is, we've planned this. Wow. Then where's God's will? If we're focusing so much on our plan... Are we sure that we know that it's God's will? Surrendering, surrendering control is not the same as surrendering responsibility. You can write that down. Surrendering control is not the same as surrendering responsibility. Think about this, this part of your life, this season that you're in. Is it tight financially? Do you, do you have control of that? Maybe you happened on a, on a tough time. I mean, things happen. I was laid off, given the pink slip and shown the door. They, thank God they gave me a severance pay of three months. But I know how that feels. I've been there. But God is my source. And God was faithful. And he was out there working ahead of me. And you can see I never went without eating. Are you worried about the kids? How about your marriage is struggling? How about you're afraid you're never going to get married? So you take things in your own hand and you get involved and you, you do things and, and you, you start working your plan. 
You want a new job, and so you start working your plan, and it's frustrating, and nothing happens. And could it be that we took control when we really should have let God have control? This is always a good one. This one gets a lot of people. You know, I'm not making enough at the job I have, so I'm going to take another job. So you start liking the income that's coming from two jobs, then you take another job, right? When does it enough become enough? I get a second job so I can buy more. And I buy more and I'm still in debt and still, right? Can you see that we have some control issues? And God may have us to make adjustments in the middle of all this, but it won't be rash decisions. God leads us. If you read Psalm 23, he leads us beside the still waters. He brings peace and comfort to our soul. He doesn't push us and force us and drive us. You never see a shepherd driving the sheep, right? They know his voice. The sheep know his voice, and, and the shepherd says, bah, whatever, I don't know. Like, bah, like come here, <laughs> translated in sheep language. I don't know. I don't know how a shepherd calls the sheep, but one day I'm going to go and visit well, God leads us by peace, right? That's the point. He doesn't control us. He gave us a free will. And when we freely follow him, there's peace there. So the third question about what you're dealing with, what I'm dealing with, is it for, is this thing for God alone? Are we trying to pick up something that is really supposed to be picked up by God alone? Look at Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. This is huge. This is powerful. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. The word anything in the Greek translates as anything. Don't be anxious about anything. And if the Bible says that we don't be anxious about anything, that means God expects us to not be anxious about anything. And it tells us how to get rid of that anxiety right here. But in everything by prayer and petition with, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, which is a conjunctive word, is joining one thought to the previous thought. The peace of God. Once, once you pray, once you submit it to God, once you thank God for him working in that situation, then the peace of God comes which transcends, which goes far beyond your understanding, it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so if you're not experiencing the peace of God and you're still dealing with that thing and you're still trying to control it with your mind and wrestle it, and people use this phrase, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. Sometimes you just have to release it because it's bigger than your mind. You're not going to wrap your mind around it. You're not going to understand why all the time. Quit trying to control everything with your mind. To try to control it with our mind is to edge God out. Right? So having God's peace requires that we release. Having God's peace requires that we release control. Quit fighting 
against yourself. And quit trying to figure out what you're trying to figure out. Actions motivated by worry are always in the arm of the flesh. Just ask King Saul, who wanted to do a good thing. He wanted to make an offering. King Saul says, it's time to, it's time to make the offering. Where is Samuel? I'm ready to offer this to the Lord. Good thing, but it wasn't at the right time. So he took control of something that he didn't have, shouldn't have control over. Right? The Lord didn't give him control over the offering. He made him king, but there's a, there, there was another person called the priest. And you had to wait for the priest to come to offer the sacrifice. But Saul was impatient, took control of something that he didn't have control. Lord, help us. Everybody say, Lord, help me. <laughs> I'm feeling this message. I'm glad y'all pray for me before we started. One more scripture. Here we go. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This, and verse 13 and 14. This is one of my favorite uh, uh, accounts from the Bible. Where Abraham, Abraham is offering his only son. You remember we were talking about Abraham and how he, he had the promised son, Isaac. And so he waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. And Abraham's over 100 years old. And Isaac is, you know, around 19, they think. And you think about a, a man that's over 100 years old, let's say 119 years old, and, and, and Isaac who's 19 years old, and God told Abraham to take Isaac up on the top of the mountain and lay him down on the altar and, and sacrifice him. Alive. On the altar. And so how's this 119-year-old man going to take this 19-year-old buck up to the top of the mountain and put a knife through him and sacrifice him to God? You have to think about how the, 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 the back story. But here's Abraham doing what the Lord told him to do because the Lord had control of the situation. And Abraham allowed the Lord to control the situation. Right? So Abraham obeys the Lord. And in verse 13 it says, Abraham, they're going up the mountain. Abraham went over and took the ram. God had made a ram, had provided a sacrifice and put him in the bushes before Abraham or as Abraham is going up the mountain. So God had asked Abraham to do this but set him up to show him that there's redemption. That the son was to be born, the first son was to be offered. This is all fits in the story of Jesus. And so as Abraham is going up the mountain, God puts this ram in the thicket, in the bush. And Abraham went over and took the ram out of the bush and sacrificed the ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Because Abraham trusted God and didn't take control of what he wasn't supposed to take control of. When Abraham released control, it allowed God to do what only God could do. And that's what we need to do. We, we need to release. We need to release some things today. Whatever we've been trying to control, 
I, I know in my own heart what's in my life. I don't know about you, but there's ways that I have tried to control things. And so we need to lay our ego down on the altar, which means the moment that we see that we're trying to control a situation or people, we need to release the control of that to God so that he can do what only he can do. Listen, you can't, you, let, me, let, let me give you a hint, a little tip for life here. You can't control people. People are going to do what people going to do. But I guarantee you, if you pray for them, it puts you in a place where God can intervene in the situation and help people that can't even help themselves. See, Abraham couldn't even help himself going up the mountain. He, he had to do what he had to do, but God made a way. When we just release control and we say, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. The truth is when we follow Jesus, we're not in control. Jesus showed us that. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. But Jesus showed us how to release control in the Garden of Gethsemane. And because he won the victory in the Garden of Gethsemane, Calvary was just obedience. Him walking out what he had already decided he was going to do. So many times we try to control things. I want to pray, pray a prayer for you. And we're, we're going to take communion, but here's the thing. Let's close our eyes and bow our head. If, you're, if you've just been in control of your life and, and you feel like your life is out of control, you need to give control over to Jesus right now. If you've never asked the Lord to take control, I want you, I want you to do that today. To begin to follow Jesus is just, just that first step by saying, Lord, I release control of my life. I, I can't control it anymore. It's just, it's, it's over me. It's, it's bigger than me. I give you control. And so if that's you today, if, if you'll just pray those, those words that I, that I just used, Lord, I give you control of my life. Hello, you're listening to a message from LifeWay Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Now, please enjoy this message from our pastor, Bruce Rhodes.